This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, very special edition today of Rob uh, Ryan Red. There we go, Rich. I figured it out. I, I keep getting a tongue twist. I couldn't quite remember the name that we've given the podcast. Uh, a special guest, our first guest on the pod. Really significant day for me and Rich. Um, we've got a great player on, wonderful memories a lot of us will have of this player. You'll be thinking Wembley, you'll be thinking Brighton, like there if you if you were like me and you made it all the way down to Brighton. We've got Adrian Chislovich on with us. Long time at Wrexham. Adrian, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And uh, yourself? Yeah, I'm great. I'm really, really pleased for me and Rich to to get you on. We, we drew up a list of, of players and I think daily go on about that goal at Brighton. So it feels like a really good place to to just start about that that goal. It's a, what a lot of people remember, you know, from your time at Wrexham. What do you think when you look back to to that goal and that day? Yeah, definitely, definitely overwhelming. That was, um, you know, like you said, if you go back to the even the starting eleven, I was being told I'm playing. Obviously, there were so many fans there. I think it was over two thousand Wrexham fans at the the way end as well, which 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 made great noise for us. Um, and yeah, just basically being told before a game, go out there as a young lad and, um, you know, do something special, I suppose, because obviously they were a championship club at the time. Um, and yeah, I was just obviously excited to play the game. And then unfortunately, we went 1-0 down. You're thinking, oh, this could be 3 or 4. <laughs> but um, yeah, then I've managed to, to do something a little bit special, you could say, and uh, score the goal to the way end. And um, yeah, finished one all, and obviously we took him back to the race course. You know, what was it like that that day? Just you know the kind of the build up to that day. I know as as a fan getting the coach down, it was just I couldn't really keep it together. I was wondering how the how the players were just kind of compartmentalizing it going into the game. You know, you knew you weren't starting the game, but just how you processed it as the game developed and the day developed, really. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, we beat um, we beat Brentford around before as well, so that was obviously. Um, Already good achievement ourselves because it was a their ground, uh, which was great strike from Jamie Tolley at the time. And um, we've already sort of, I wouldn't say we overachieved by then, but obviously if you're beating the bigger teams, you're already doing well. So um, obviously we went to Brighton the day before because obviously it's far away. And um, yeah, the whole build-up build up covered itself really. Do you know what I mean, there wasn't any pressure on us whatsoever. Just go into the game and then try and do your best. And um, yeah, I suppose, you know, <laughs> being optimistic to win the game, but at least take a draw and take him back to the race course for the Tuesday night game. And um, anything can happen. So, um, yeah, so it's definitely uh, a memory memory in my mind. 
on the actual goal yourself as well, like it just opened up and you just carry on going and going and going. Was it in your mind when you got the ball that you were going to try and get a goal or shot a goal at the end of it, or did it just happen in the moment and there's a moment of genius, really? Yeah, it's, you know, as, as a winger, you always try to create chances. Um, you know, we get us wingers get judged by chances and scoring goals, don't we? So every time you get the ball, you try and do something special with it. Um, in my own you know, experience, uh, unfortunately, more times it doesn't work out, you could say. But um, yeah, many people also joke about it. See if the ball was going in, if it didn't take a deflection. So I always say yes, but I don't think it was. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, just hit it on target. And like you said, anything can happen, little deflections or not. And um, yeah, lucky enough for us, it went in. Let's take you right back to the beginning. You know, you, you've left Manchester City, you come to Wrexham. Did you have any kind of expectations about what it would be like, the club, anything kind of due diligence done, or did you just go in as a, as a blank canvas, just see what it's got to offer? Yeah, no, it was it was really good. Dean Saunders rang me while I was in Poland at the time, um, had my holiday break with my with my family. Um, Dean Saunders rang me, to be honest, and he said, listen, you can come down with your dad for two weeks. So I was only 18 at the time. Uh, you can come have a look around. You know, obviously we had Collier's Park, the facilities, the stadium, the fan base. You know, you could you would never say it's a fifth year of English football, is it? So um, I managed to get two weeks. Well, sorry, it wasn't two weeks. It was probably about a week with my dad down here. Uh, done a few training sessions. My dad could obviously see around. And um, yeah, it was definitely, everything was positive. So uh, it was easy decision to, to, to sign in the end. What was it like, those kind of first few training sessions? You know, you're 18-year-old lad, you training with some, some big guys at this level. Uh, just what was it like, kind of just men's football, getting in, you know, away from Poland in in the mighty Wrexham, as me and Rich might say? <laughs> yeah, you're right, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was it was definitely life-changing because, obviously, you know, I lived in Man City, lived with Diggs, you know, you had everything done for you, washing, cleaning, whatever you want, you know, um, getting picked up for training, dropped off and stuff like that. So when you come over to Wrexham's 18-year-old lads, you know, you have to sort of learn everything from scratch. And uh, the pressure, I'm not saying the pressure got to you, but it's it's not easy, that's for sure. And for myself, obviously, it's in a foreign foreign country as well. So um, it was definitely uh, life-changing and, you know, it teaches you to become a man very quickly. But like you said, the training sessions, you know, it was definitely different straight away because you play man's football. You know, it's not all this, you know, trickery and, you know, technical work and you're going straight into the deep end. And obviously, Wrexham already had some very good players at the time. So, um you're learning and obviously Dean Saunders as a manager was a big, big, big plus for me because he was a striker and obviously I was a forward player. So, um, yeah, definitely thrown to deep and straight away, you could say as an 18-year-old, but um, yeah, I was trying to fit in as soon as possible. In terms of, I mean, you mentioned that there, that, you know, you've come to a fifth-tier team who didn't feel like a fifth-tier team and maybe something that Wrexham fans are guilty of is we think we're massive. We think we're too big for this level, which is maybe part of the reason why we're, we've been here for so long because, Obviously, history does only tell a story and it's what you do on the pitch that counts. But as soon as you joined Wrexham, were you quite blown away by the size of the club, considering, like you said, they were in the 50 and still are in the 50? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like I said, you know, the first thing uh, Dean Saunders took me to the stadium, you know, you see this massive stadium, you're thinking, oh, what's happening here? Um, then obviously, you went to Collier's Park, you know, you've got great facilities to develop because obviously I was still developing as a young lad. Um, so you had everything in front of yourself. And obviously, um, like I said, Dean Saunders was a big plus as a striker because obviously he could develop me as a player. And um, yeah, there was definitely, definitely overwhelming the facilities were, but uh, like you said, with a massive history. But unfortunately, you know, you've been in this league for was it 13, 14 years now? So, um, but like I said, we'll probably come to that. That is a better thing, hopefully, ahead. So, 
who was a good mentor early on in that squad? You know, 18-year-old lad, you see it all the time. Older players, veterans of the dressing room try and take you under your wing, show you the ropes, you know, just get you to grips with the area as well as, as the kind of the team and everything. Is anyone that kind of stood out in that group at the time when you joined that, that helped you, had an effect on you? Um, I don't know. Like, well, Sylvia Spann was there at the time. He was, you know, could say he was a very friendly fella. Uh, you know, took you under the wing a little bit. Um, but then again, there was about, I think it was 16 or 17 new players coming in at that time. So there was, the squad was pretty much new anyway. So everyone sort of had to fit in. Obviously, Mark Jones was coming back there the same time as I did. Um, so, so, so there was, the feeling was that everyone was pretty new. So everyone sort of had to gel again, if you could say. So, um, yeah, there wasn't anyone really that, you know, stood out at the time. But Sylvia Spahn was definitely one of the players who, who was very welcoming. Yeah, I know, a really popular player among the fan base. But, you know, Dean, you've touched on, and you said that he rang you, showed you around. What was he like to play for and, and to work under behind the scenes? Uh, yeah, well, we've run out of time if I went through all the things. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there was definitely, uh, you know, good times, bad times, but that's under every manager. And if you're not performing, he would definitely tell you that you're not doing well enough. Um, he definitely was one of them people who believed in me because, obviously, you know, kept on signing new contracts. And I did play a lot of games under him, you know, First season and second seasons, I played most of the games, or at least came on. Uh, you could laugh; I was probably the most sub player in the Wrexham history. But you know, he always gave you that chance to play. So, um, but obviously, like on a training pitch, you know, he always used to stay behind and doing a bit of extras and trying to basically develop me as a as as a, as a player. So, um, yeah, it was definitely uh, definitely definitely good time for for myself. In terms of your actual football upbringing, was there any player as a child that you sort of looked up to? Like, who was your boyhood sort of hero? Yeah, well, you probably, I don't know if you laughed, but my dad, my dad played football professionally himself for 20 years. So, um, like, we moved to the Faroe Islands and I was eight years of age. Um, you know, at the time, you know, the standard Faroe's football wasn't great. And like I said, once again, little train sessions in the afternoon after school, my dad used to just take me to go and kick a ball around. Um stupid as it sounds just trying you know learn how to tackle a player so I was tackling my dad around and you know stuff like that so um it was definitely um you know upbringing I had, my brother plays football as well so I was definitely brought up in the family where you know football was a was a second nature really just briefly touching it you, you played against your brother didn't you quite recently in a in a Champions League was that with TNS it was yeah yeah, yeah what was that what was that like I mean because obviously you said you would have played against your brother it's always a curious situation whenever families can get to collide like that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, my mum didn't even want to watch the game because she didn't know what to support. So um, yeah, it was definitely uh, different. That's for sure. You know, shaking his hand. You know, as we were standing up for, you know, um, for, for the lineups, and um, it was definitely uh, different. But um, I can always rub it in because obviously we beat them six two in aggregate. So I can always rub it in the family. But um, never let them forget. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely different, different, different experience, uh, which I was fortunate, you know, to, to play in the European stage. So, you were at Wrexham for you know a good number of years, and you've seen a lot of players come through. As you said, Wrexham had a habit of just signing lots and lots of new players all at once. But what, some of the characters that were in there, Mark Crichton, a Jocelyn Maybe, who you know, these kind of people that really resonated with the fans. I mean, what were some of the characters like in the dressing room through the years? Yeah, yeah, like you said, there's you know lots of players coming in and out. I think I was I was the only one to survive and really all the squads year by year. Um, the first season, like you said, we signed 17 players and I think 18 left in the end of the season, and it was the same story the season after. So 
Um, I had to end up being, you know, the welcoming player, really, because there was nobody else. But, um, yeah, we definitely signed some, you know, Frank Sinclair, Gareth Taylor, uh, players like that, you know, with 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 bit pedigree really playing the Premier League, haven't they? So, um, like you said, Mark Crichton, obviously, you know, um, there was loads of different characters uh, for good and bad reasons, you could say, you know. But um, like Jocelyn Maebi, I lived with, I lived with Jocelyn for two years because we used to have, um, have, a, have a lad's house for, from the football club. So um, Jamie McCloskey was the first one that I moved in with. And then there was the French lads, like you said. We had Hedy Tabubi and Mansour Asmani. And Hedy Tabubi, everyone, I think everyone knows that he was a bit of a crazy fella. So, uh, you know, when you, especially when you put his goalkeeper gloves on when he went in goal. So... Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's definitely different characters in there, in there. But you could also learn from those, you know, people, you know, on a personal level and on the football level. So there was too many to mention, really. <laughs> yeah, you what was that lad? Yeah. So going lived, with, I was just saying, Adrian lived with like, every cult hero we've had, all the players that <laughs> the fans love the most. You lived yeah. in the same house. It must have been crazy in there. But yeah, um, go like, like I'm guessing Nathan's going to say that. Like, the, the, the thing which maybe people like Jocelyn as well in particular is obviously he's quite eccentric, he's quite a lively goalkeeper, but at the end of the day, he was a, he's a top professional and we had such a good clean sheet record under him as well. Yeah, we definitely did, yeah. Well, I do remember as well the goal, you know, in Mansfield when the goalkeeper kicked over him, didn't he? But um, yeah, on his day, he was definitely a very good goalkeeper. Obviously, he played for his national team, which, you know, doesn't come likely. So, um, yeah, obviously, I live with the lad, so um, he couldn't cook, but he was a, he was a decent goalkeeper, so... Were you the master chef in the house, or? I'm not too bad. Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. <laughs> what was it like? In, in, you know, I, I, I didn't actually have an idea of the kind of living arrangements. I know you see them at, at different clubs, but but how was it? Was was the mood in the house very kind of relaxed, chill? Was it like video games after training? Was it you watch films together? What was the kind of uh, and fans that you know love to hear stuff like that about players or kind of clubbing in together? Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, um... Well, we had a house. I think the lads still got a house in in, in Rostockland, I think. So, um, um, yeah, we definitely, you know, we've got to town, go for a coffee, you know, Starbucks or whatever that might be, you know, just just to socialise, really. Um, you know, you'd, I wouldn't. It's not a great thing. Go home and you know lock yourself, you know, four walls and just sit there on your own. So, um, but like you said, there's an 18, 19 year old lad. Yeah, I'm not saying there was a lot of video games because I've never really been into that, but. Um, Yes, it's it's always trying to do different things. Go, you know, go for a coffee somewhere or some food or anything like that. Really, so that's that's what we sort of um, seem to do. One of the freak things that that seems to have gone viral in later years via somebody like a bootlegger was the ghost goal at Kidderminster. That you know, it, people that my friends of mine who don't support Wrexham always say, "Oh, you know," I said I was coming on to chat to you, and they said, "You've got to ask about the the ghost goal," and I was just stood the test of time. I mean, that was unbelievable now and then yeah I think the video was even funnier wasn't it on YouTube yeah. but uh, <laughs> but um, no nah, definitely at the time you know when I scored the goal I'm thinking 2-1 you know we're back in this game uh, which was my first four and then obviously went through the net I'm thinking this is a bit mad and um, the referee didn't give it so I was thinking obviously you know for 2-1 we're back in this game and it took about seven or eight minutes to eventually give the goal which the fourth official gave which was an halfway line miles away um, but the goal was given Obviously, it took about eight minutes, and then I think we conceded two minutes after three-one. So there was no real point to it, really. But uh, yeah, it was a bit of a again different experience because obviously that doesn't happen very often, does it? No, Kiddy at the time as well were a really difficult team to go away and play at as well. In terms of your Wrexham career, where were the toughest grounds to go go and try and win at? 
Um, definitely always had Luton. Luton was difficult, difficult games away. Obviously, bad memories again from the playoffs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, Luton, probably one of them, probably as well. The, the obviously big, massive fan base. You know, they always go on your back and stuff, don't they? So, uh, I'm not going to really say what they've been saying, but uh, you know, the, the, the away fans always go on your back a little bit. So I'd probably say Luton was one of the one of the hardest places. Yeah. When you're playing in the fifty, like we said, Wrexham massive club, Luton are as well. Is, although those games can get nasty and they're a bit heated, are those the ones you relish the most when you're playing in front of a proper crowd, as it were, even though you're at a lower level? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like I said, at 18, 18, 19 years of age, you know, you have to be mentally strong to to, to deal with the pressure. And like I said, the Wrexham, you know, when you get four or five thousand fans, even at this level, coming, you know, through the gates. You know, if you're not performing, they will sometimes go on your back, which is accept, which is expected, really. Um, and then, yeah, Luton obviously got even, you know, at, at this level, they had eight, 9,000 fans every single game. So um, I try sort of, as soon as you go on the football pitch, you have to block it out, really, because if you let it affect you, then obviously it lets affect your performance. So I've sort of fortunately been mentally strong all my career. So as soon as I'm going to go on the football pitch, you know, you know the job in hand and you sort of concentrate on that. I was about to say, have you had any kind of, moments where the pressure has got a bit much or you found yourself frustrated and, and unable to kind of, you know, as a football player, you have huge ups and downs. You hear that all the time, cliches of ups and downs. But did you have any particular point in, in your career where it got very difficult or have you always been pretty, as you say, mentally sound? Yes. My injuries, obviously, you know, that was a massive step back. Obviously, you know, I had a fractured skull, which took me about for six months and I'm fortunate to still be playing football. Um, obviously my knee injury which happened the year after again so you have in two years where you have an injury after injury so from that point of view mentally you know you're in the gym every day on your own you know for four or five months straight which which can be very difficult when you're seeing the lads playing on the football pitch but from a football perspective when you go like I said you know we played at Wembley it was like 35,000 fans there if anything I just cherish that to be fortunate to play in front of those people and obviously, as we went to the penalty shootout, I remember Chris Westwood said, listen, you might never have another chance to take a penalty at Wembley again. So you miss, you miss. You know, don't show your face again in the Wrexham. <laughs> but if you, score, if you score, you could be a hero. So that's the way, you know, I approached it. I said, oh, let me take the first one then. So, um, yeah, if you just have to sort of block it out as soon as you go on the football pitch. But again, it could be tough, you know, with the injuries and play, you know, if, if you get in a dark place like that. I mean, I guess we have to mention the trophy final now, don't we, after that? Uh, you absolutely changed the game. You saved our day out. We are always going to be grateful to you for that. Uh, what was your memory of of leading up to that game, really? We had a really good... It was a tricky run, but it was a good run in the FA Trophy. Obviously, we destroyed Sutton. We had a tricky one against Solihull Moors, and the games were semi-final. And what was the build-up like to that, to that Wembley, and our first appearance as a club at Wembley as well? Yes, yeah, like you said, the, the, if you've gone all the way back now, my parents came over for that game. And obviously we were snowed in, weren't we? So we went to Wembley two days before that. And um, I had to sort of try and get somebody to pick my parents up from the airport because my other half was snowed in. So that was the uh, hardest part to start with. And then obviously try and get them to Wembley. But um, um, like you said there, obviously the day before, Andy Morrell mentioned the team. So obviously I wasn't happy because I wasn't starting. Um, I think because I played as well for every game before that, I think to the, to the, to the line-up to the final. So... Um, I wasn't happy, and I remember I was, you know, effing and jeffing in the in the in the hotel room, and I hear a knock on the door, and Andy Morel was behind the door. So uh, I hope he didn't hear me, but he probably did. Um, but at the time, obviously, I wasn't happy. But we had a chat, and um, obviously, he said after an hour, you're going to be coming on for for himself. 
and uh, hopefully change the game for us. And obviously that's the approach I took. There's no point sulking about it because obviously you got a job in hand. And uh, yeah, as soon as I came on the pitch, I was just trying to do my best. Yeah, you know, you said about the taking the first penalty, but I just wanted to know you. You've obviously scored your one. You can't do anything else. You know, when you're waiting to see Johnny Hunt go up, I mean, what were you thinking? You've obviously seen all the lads take them in training. You were confident in yourself, but you know, there must have been a little bit of nerves. It was either you know, with a great image of you all running towards us in the away end. Obviously, it's etched on all our memory. But did you know that Johnny was gonna gonna slot that one away? <laughs> your guess is as good as mine uh, I've never seen Johnny Hunt take a penalty in his life to be honest he'd have Chris Westwood but uh, yeah they were they were you know lads put some lads put their hands up straight away um, that wanted to take it like I said you know you might have another opportunity to take a penalty Wembley again so um, Chris Westwood obviously had a great career and he said listen I want to take one Daniel I want to take one so um, I can't even remember who the fifth one was to be honest but um, yeah the lads some of the lads felt confident enough to just put their hands up straight away and like you said, the picture at the end, um, I think it's it's still in the club shop, if I remember right. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's definitely a memory that's, um, that's going to definitely stand out. I think every Wrexham fan in their history has had that as their phone wallpaper at some point, that picture. like It was it was my laptop wallpaper. I had it printed out. I had the poster. I had it everywhere. But in terms of the, the fan as well, Adrian, you also had two decent chances where you could have scored. I remember right up behind the goal in the second tier at Wembley. I remember you had a, an effort at the Grimsby end where you, you turned and hit a, a half volley, I think, for about 30 yards. And you had the one where you curled one towards the back post and, you know, you're up, a great, up against a great keeper that day. But did you feel like, when it was going to penalties, did, did you feel that you were going to win the final or did you think it really was still up in the air? Like, like you said there, we had so many chances. I remember Danny Wright hit the post as well, I think, in, the, in the extra time. And it's just you have so many chances, you think, is it actually going to happen? Um but yeah, so, you know, penalties always got to be a lottery, isn't it? So you just go up and pick a spot and be confident and, you know, hopefully, hopefully it goes in. And lucky enough, obviously, all four of us went the same way and the keeper went the opposite way four times. So, um, and that was obviously the outcome out of it. So it was, it was, it was good. Was much said in kind of the, in the huddles, you know, we often a lot is made of getting together in the extra time huddles at the end of full time. What was Andy like in those kind of moments in, in terms of just like giving you a bit of clarity, any kind of tactical tweaks, anything like that? And not really, because I think, I think we play well all game really. So there wasn't much to tweak really. Um, like I said, you know, we just get you together and say, listen, lads, keep, keep going, obviously keep pushing. And um, there wasn't much to be changed, really. Just obviously try and take one of those chances if they if they come along. And uh, unfortunately, we couldn't do that in 120 minutes. But then again, when it mattered, uh, probably the fans didn't want the penalties. But uh, you know, but uh, my mum definitely didn't want it in the in the stand because she was going to have a heart attack. But uh, yeah, so definitely uh, more drama for the fans, wasn't it? So. And fond memories of the celebrations after that, you know, going back, obviously we saw we saw the trophy lift and many of us had to try and make our ways home through the snow back up to North Wales. But I assume it was a great night for the players as soon as you got back behind the scenes. Yeah, we were fortunate enough, uh, Richard Watkin um, managed to let us use the whole Lodge Hotel at the time. So everyone could come back with their families and, uh, and obviously close ones to, to, to celebrate. And like I said, for myself, my mum and dad obviously living abroad, they don't get a chance to see many games. Um, so they came over and obviously managed, managed to celebrate together. So that was obviously another special, special moment for myself. But um, 
if I remember right, I think Dean Keats went with the trophy into town centre at two in the morning or whatever it was, and the fans were running around with the trophy and stuff. So I'm sure they had a they had a laugh uh, they had a laugh around Wrexham at that day. Where does the trophy win rank for you so far in your career? Is it, is it probably the best moment of your career, or, or do those sort of Champions League nights you've had just edge it? Or um, I know might say patriotic or not. I played for my national team when I was 17, 18. And I think any time you represent your country, you should be proud of it. So, but uh, from a club perspective, club point of view, yeah, definitely that was one of the biggest moments you could say in my career because obviously there were so many fans there as well, and a special moment for, for for everybody really involved with the football club. So, um, yes, of course, Brighton goal was special, but that I think that ticks ticks more boxes. And um, on the flip side, like you said, playing against my brother as well, that was another special moment. So, but winning the trophies, we play as a footballer don't you you want to win trophies as many as you can so that'll definitely be one of the one of the best moments uh, in my career yeah and of course obviously we'll get to the other trip to Wembley maybe in a minute but another game of as soon as we said we got into you one of the games that sprung to my mind was Forest Green at home we just scored both goals I remember it vividly it was a real we just hung in there you took both your chances really well and that game really sort of sprung belief in that we could get promoted that season yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, was that the season we finished second? Or yeah, that was. I can't quite remember what year it was. I think it was the yeah. year we finished second. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember yeah. one when you lobbed the keeper from outside the box. I think after he came rushing out, and the yeah. other one you hit from outside, just outside the box. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, like you said there. But um, if that was the season where we finished second to Fleetwood, obviously with ninety-eight points, you're thinking, you know, when does that ever happen? That team not getting promoted, but. Uh, and then I think we played Luton in the in the semi-final. We were 3-0 down after 30 minutes, if I remember right. Um, you can remind Mike Crichton about the penalty as well. I think he would go penalty away. But, um, yeah, it was just, you know, we had so many close calls, didn't we? Yeah, so, obviously, the Newport one was, like you said, if we get onto that question, but obviously the Newport one, a bit of a crazy moment from Chris Maxwell coming out of his box, wasn't it? But um, <laughs> Dave Artel trying to head it back in the 85th minute or whatever it was. But... Um, yeah, we're just unlucky, I think. Yeah, I've never watched the highlights back of the Newport game. So I've never, I've no, never watched I, it. I, just, I, I never watched it back. Yeah. Uh, I think, from, I think we yeah. deserve, we deserve a lot more that season, didn't we? But uh, you know, it just unfortunately wasn't to be. Yeah, I mean, those two are still the closest we've ever come to promotion from this league. I guess maybe if we go into that ninety-eight point first, and then look at the Newport one. Uh, I mean, one big thing that the Wrexham fans will always say is, if Curtis Obeng stayed, we probably would have got promoted from the league. Uh, how big an impact do you think that was when he, when he left? Yeah, hundred percent. Obviously, for myself, I had a big, big, big. Um, you know, we'd like to work together on that right hand side, didn't we? So uh, you know, when I put the ball behind because he was that fast, I knew he was going to get there, and obviously vice versa. So. Um, we definitely had a good link up because obviously we spent a bit of time in Man City before that as well. Um, but yeah, obviously he left, you know, for him obviously onto better things. Um, but yeah, definitely a big miss, definitely a big miss. But uh, you could, you know, was that the defining moment? Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, it was definitely a big loss, that's for sure. Just, you know, you said we got that 98 points and like you say, we, we were 3-0 down in, in that playoff against Luton and it felt like everything the season the amazing season we had had just gone up in smoke in half an hour. Do you think it was, I mean, it's easy with the benefit of hindsight to say now, but the kind of the motivation to go again, you know, in the playoffs, we were easily the second best team, if not, you know, just edged out by Vardy's Fleetwood. Looking back, was, you know, was, that, was that difficult to kind of get G'd up in a way or, or not? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it takes it takes the wind a little bit out of it, doesn't it? Um, 
but like I said, you have to obviously pick yourself up again and, and try again. But then one, two, three, nil at home. Uh, we sort of gave it a go away, if I remember right. We went one a lot, and then I think it was Andy Manga missed the penalty for 2 0, didn't he? And then it could have been maybe a different story. But um, yeah, it was definitely, definitely, you know, a kick, kick in the teeth. But uh, yeah, you have to sort of, you know, like you said, ups and downs in football very quickly, isn't it? So you have to pick yourself up very quickly and um, just, just move on to the next game because people only remember how you played last game. So, yeah. and you said about, you know, kind of the frustration of, the amount of times you, you you were coming off the bench and you were a sub. Do you think that the more that happened, you just became typecast as a kind of impact player, or did you just think that you know you maybe weren't given a, a fair crack of the whip in that sense? Yeah, it's I know it's, it's, it's tough to tell. Like I'm obviously now at TNS, I'm playing regularly, you know, uh, scoring goals, creating chances, you know, which which is what I want to be doing. But you know, as 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 older you get, you sort of develop as a player and you. You know, I definitely play differently now than when I did when I was 21. You know, you give me a ball at 21, I'll just run forward, don't even think about it. And you could say, you know, a horse with no jockey. So now you definitely play differently because you because you develop and you learn how to how to play the game really. So um, um, if you put me in a situation where now with my brain at 22, 23, <laughs> then maybe I would have played differently. But um, it's 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 you know like you said ifs and buts isn't it you know it's easy to look back what was um, you know eight nine yeah. years ago. I mean there was a, there was a point I was looking back and I was going through some some old articles and there was there was one episode which Morel you know he, he called you out and he did question the kind of the attitude you know after a game and you know for a young player that is that's difficult to to hear from a manager publicly at least. I just wonder like what your relationship was like like with him overall when when you look back at it now. Yeah, but I don't, uh, like you said, you know, he came publicly and said it, which which isn't a problem. Obviously, he was the manager at the time. And, you know, I prefer to keep things in-house if there's problems. But um, um, at the time, I think it was one of the games where, you know, I think I scored the, day, the game before that. I can't remember who it was against. And obviously, thought I deserved to start. Um, but I didn't. And obviously, I think he only put me on for the last five minutes or whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, I was sulking a little bit in the running after with Michael Oakes, if I remember right. Which, from yeah, professionalism definitely wasn't the right thing to do, but uh, yeah, it was one of them things. And yeah, he was definitely, definitely right at the time. Obviously, it's, you've got to be professional, whether it's positive or negative, isn't it? So, um, but like I said, that's another thing you learn. And um, would I do that the same thing now? Probably not. I was just going to ask him, I mean, obviously, we spoke about the first Wembley final and you changed the game from the bench. Do you think that the fact that you changed the game so much from the bench did impact the fact that going forward, you were best maybe best used by Wrexham as a super sub. I mean, you look again at the, the playoff final against Newport and you're on the bench and you came off that day as well. Do you think that maybe you'd earn a, uh, you'd done enough in those performances off the bench to actually be starting more matches? Um, yeah, as a, as a player, you know, you want to play every game, that's for sure. And, you know, you don't want to just come up for 10 minutes, 15 minutes here and then because there's nothing same as match fitness. Like you could train as much as you want, run as much as you want, but the match fitness, you know, if it comes with playing games, so as more 90 minutes you get, you know, you, you, you get fitter, you get sharper. Um, coming on for 15, 10 minutes, sometimes when you're 2-0 down and, you know, people expect a miracle sometimes, you know, you're going to score three goals, which, you know, very unlikely that's going to happen. So um, obviously as a young lad coming to Wrexham, 18, 19, I didn't expect to play as many games as I did. Um, so you could say a lot of pressure being put on your shoulders straight away. But obviously, as older I was getting, um, you know, I was hoping to play more games. 
for whatever reason I didn't. But obviously, that's probably the question to the managers at the time. If he thought I didn't deserve to start at the time, then so, so be it. Um, obviously, I wanted to play every game. But like I said, if you know, I'm getting that sort of uh, title, super sub, and you're making the impact from the bench, then I suppose the team comes first and uh, what, you know, the player and the manager comes after. What did you make of Dean Keats as a character? You know, obviously he's the, he's the gaffer now at Wrexham and, you know, has split the fan base in terms of how he was as a player and, and how he is as a manager. Did you always think he was a manager in waiting or did you think there was other players in there that were co- ready-made coaches? Yeah, he definitely came in. Obviously, he was done, made captain straight away. Um, you know, you could see straight away he had that sort of character of, 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 of a leader. And um, he fitted in straight away in the team. And obviously, he, on the pitch, he was definitely one of those. I remember that game. I think he played with a dislocated shoulder or whatever it was, or his elbow or something. I think he played for another 20 minutes. He was just running with it, holding it in his hand. And, you know, if, if you're not a warrior, then you wouldn't do that. So you could definitely say he always had that, you know, sort of spark that he's going to be a manager in the future. And uh, when Wrexham obviously... Took, when he took over as a manager, you thought that's definitely a good appointment because he knows the club inside out, that's first and foremost. Knows the league very well and he knows what it takes to to, to win games. And um, obviously you could see how successful he was in his first term when he obviously earned himself to move to his um, home home club club, but wasn't it, to, to, to Walsall. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him and he came back. And obviously people, you know, still judging him on maybe the players who were from the previous manager and, you know, just, you know, give give him a bit of time because, you know, if you're going to keep on, you know, chopping and changing every six months, you're never going to be successful, are you? So, um, from my own point of view, just give him a bit of time and obviously, look, the results picked up already and, um, you know, people quickly forget when you're in the bottom five, I suppose. Yeah, we football fans are very fickle, aren't we? <laughs> when, when, and you said there's, well, you know, your best time at Wrexham came when there was a bit more stability in the squad as well and I guess would you maybe say that's your advice to Wrexham fans now just to stick with it because we've had so many managers over the last two three years that what we need now is consistency even though we've had so much change off the pitch yeah 100% yeah obviously when we talk about stability now then you've got the big boys coming in haven't you so uh you know we'll see we'll see what their sort of um you know approaches if they want to you know change the managers players whatever they want to be doing but Definitely advice is you know to stick the manager and give him a chance and let him uh, let him obviously keep the players most of them because obviously you still got some very good players at the football club but uh, let him improve you know four or five and uh, then he should be should be okay. From your experience, you know you've had a lot of different dressing rooms. Have there any? There's been lots of rumours about Wrexham squads over the years in terms of you know, any kind of flare-ups or anything like that? Was there any kind of episodes behind the scenes that the fans won't have known where, where things did get a bit out of hand or have you always found yourself in, in pretty tight-knit groups? Uh, yeah, but like I said, even though there was loads of new players coming in, the, the, the managers sort of seemed to get a tight group together. Um, but there wasn't any, like, bust-ups or anything like that. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought. So, obviously, if you lose a game, you know, there's going to be bottles kicked in the change room and... You know, people are going to be unhappy, that's for sure, because we're all winners. But, um, yeah, there wasn't, you know, bad eggs, if you want to call it that, you know, mm. in, in, in the change room that I've come across. Um, so we've always been, you know, sort of a, a close bunch, you could say. What do you think now of social media for the players? You know, like Rich said, fans are very fickle, myself included. And, you know, we've got a direct link to these players and, and people are pretty blunt with their opinions. Obviously, Years and years ago, it wasn't as kind of 
direct and as straightforward to, to direct any abuse of the players. How difficult do you think that has made the game now for younger players, 18, 17, 18 year olds coming into men's football? Yeah, social media is definitely one thing that, you know, I've got a little boys, only four, but growing up, you know, it's, I worry a little bit because obviously, like you said, you know, it's easy to go and type something behind the screen, isn't it? But as you're saying, as a, as a Wrexham fan, you know, they always, you always want, you always want to win um, and see the team get three points, right? And it doesn't matter if, you know, whoever scores or it doesn't matter what happens. As long as you get the three points, the Wrexham fan's going to be happy, isn't he? So, and when you lose, they're going to face their opinion, which they obviously entitled to do so. But, you know, from social media, like, you know, I never, I never, I'm not saying I don't agree with it. You know, I've got Twitter myself, but I hardly go on it. Um, if anyone tweets me or not, you know, I take it with a pinch of salt, really. So, um, but as a 17, 18 year old lad, you know, I'm not sure everyone's as strong mentally. And it is tough. It definitely is tough. And I think it's the best that even the FA can do is educate those players and the youngsters on, on, on going forward because, you know, especially the abuse the players are getting nowadays, you know, it wasn't as bad when I was playing. Um, obviously, for Wrexham at the time, but I'm not saying the Wrexham fans are the only ones to give abuse. I'm just saying even for like Premier League players mm. and so on. Um, it's, 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 it's difficult for the youngsters and any player, really. Um, but yeah, as I said, the, the fans are always going to look with a badge on the, on the heart, aren't they, first and foremost? So if you win, they're going to be happy. You know, if you lose, you know, they're not going to be happy. And that's just the way it is. Do you, do you still keep an eye on Wrexham, you know, how, how the team are doing? Any results? You still have sort of an eye, you know, you spent a long period of your career there in terms of the other clubs you've been at. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like obviously we've got lots of uh, ex-Wrexham players at TNS. Obviously, Simon Spender's the, the the biggest one, really, and obviously, well, Steve Evans gone now, but we've got Leo Smith and uh, Chris Marriott. There's lots of players who obviously played for Wrexham, but yeah, definitely one of the teams that, if I look at the scores, will be uh, the first to look at. Well, yeah, I, was, it, I'm sorry, Nev, I wanted to ask about Leo Smith because I I've always felt he never really got a proper chance at Wrexham. I've always been really impressed with him. How well has he done at TNS for us who haven't been able to watch him very regularly? Yeah, he's, he's 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 in my cast, course. I don't want to give him too many praises because he's uh, he's head will go out the window. But now nah, he's definitely a young lad. who is very keen. He wants to learn. Um, obviously, listens to the you know to the to the senior players, and he can only get better really. So um, you know, if you know if that, I obviously wish the lad you know going on a bigger things because obviously Tina's a good good club, but I'm probably a stepping stone if you're a youngster and you want to move on to better things. So, like you said, for Wrexham, unfortunately, you didn't get enough enough chance and. You know, he was, he was basically let go. And I remember actually I had this conversation with him that day because it was Joey Jones' birthday. And uh, I remember Joey Jones went in the office and obviously said which youngster's going to be moved on or stay. And Leo Smith was the only player that he was arguing about because obviously he was a big, big talent. So, um, but yeah, like I said, he's, he's a very good player. And obviously he's, I'm glad he's at our football club now. And um, hopefully that he can kick on and get even better. We we spoke about the the took the takeover. You know, it's every Wrexham seems to have gone global overnight with Ryan Reynolds and, and Rob McElhenney. But there was a point where was I reading about the last takeover when the fans were kind of getting it and saving the club. It's obviously a huge moment in our history. There was a point where you weren't getting paid. Is that right? Kind of the difficulties of the players weren't getting any money. Yeah, that's 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 true. Yeah, obviously the the period where the fans were taking over and Jeff Moss was in charge, if I remember right. Um, Obviously, you know, the previous chairman didn't want to pay the wages because he was selling the club and the new owners didn't want to pay the wages because they haven't taken over just yet. So, yeah, there was a spell of two months wages where players weren't getting paid. 
Um, well, Dean Saunders was the manager at the time and fortunately enough, he had loads of money and he sort of helped a few of the lads out, um, which is a funny story really because he just turned up with like 20 grand cash and he just went, who needs it the most? So um, the lads obviously, you know, some lads obviously, you know, live month to month, you could say, because not everyone's on big money. And obviously, you have to still pay your mortgages and you got family. So, obviously, that was a massive, massive boost um, that the lads, you know, were helped out in some sort of shape and form. Um, I'm not saying I was fortunate enough, but I was obviously on my own living with the lads. I didn't have many, you know, too many bills to pay and stuff like that. So, it didn't really affect me as much. But we obviously had players who who needed it more than the others. And uh, Dean Saunders was um, as much bad press he was getting at the time because obviously the results weren't great, but... You know, behind closed doors, things he was doing for the lads, um, maybe he's not as noticeable. I'm not, I'm so, not picturing like an apprentice style kind of briefcase and Dean's coming in at a sort of centre table with sounds very massive, kind of, yeah, yeah, like yeah. make your pitch, you know. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like in between this uh, briefcase, but um, yeah, he, 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 like I said, he came in and obviously looked after the lads at the time, which was very important, like you said. But um, and then if I remember right, it was 200 or 250 grand. Um, the, the fans had to raise at the time, which you know, it's not not, not something you you take lightly as well for us to even have a football club really, and obviously to to, to start the season. Um, so that was another massive massive uh, thing that the fans done over over the period the time that I was there. You know, were there concerns at that point in the kind of house share that you were in that the club was it really wasn't far away? Obviously, a lot of fans know that we, we weren't far away at all from kind of pulling it all together. You know, was there any kind of concern in the players that, you know, there's no money coming in? I know Dean has provided support, but it was a really uncertain and really scary time for, for the fan base. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like you said, uh, you know, us behind, you know, closed doors, you could say, oh, in training training facilities, you know, we talk about things like that. And yeah, like you said, it was. I think it was just before the season was meant to start. And, you know, if there's no football club, the lads will be our contract. And, you know, all the other teams, you could say, pretty much got the squad sorted. And, you know, where does that leave all the lads really as well? Um, but like you said, because obviously for this football club it would have been a disaster for it to to, to fold at the time. And um, yeah, for everyone concerned, like you said, the fans, but probably the players just as much. So um, yeah, it wasn't it, it was a bit of a dark place. But um, you wouldn't have thought about it now, would you? <laughs> uh, no, not now. I mean, it's amazing now. You know, this special. You know, we would always say it's a special club. I mean, me and Rich and everyone else. But it, but there really is something special about Wrexham, just the fan base, the huge fan base, the kind of the way the fans have saved the club. I mean, as a player walking out of the race course for the first time here in a full, um, you know, full mode mold road, a full Yale stand tech end. It's a, uh, it's a special, it's a special occasion for a player. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like you said, there, I was only 18 at the time, even like the preseason friendlies we played, it was like thousand fans. Then you're thinking, well, it was only a friendly, but what are they doing it? Um, so yeah, when the first game of the season, usually get the biggest, I've seen the biggest crowds, but one of the biggest crowds in the season. Because obviously the fans are keen to see new players and new signings and obviously it's a new season. Um, and it's a long break in conferences and there's like two months break or whatever it was. So um, yeah, it was definitely a special moment for, for myself because I remember I started that game as well. And um, I think we won as well, 1-0 if I remember right. So yeah, it was definitely uh, definitely an experience you won't forget. Rich, have you got anything else, or we should do some quick fire? Well, just quick I guess fire. just the, the the final thing is um, I guess on the on the takeover. I mean, it's so good not just for Exeter but for the whole area for the whole community. And has I mean from former players like yourself is I mean I'm not 
I guess, what, what was your reaction to the take? Were you really happy for the club or were you maybe wishing they'd done that when you were there? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it wouldn't be bad to negotiate a contract now, would it? But um, yeah, well, at the time you're thinking, oh, that surely can't be true. You know, they must be doing Deadpool 3 or something at the race mm-hmm. course or something like that, isn't it? But um, yeah, it was definitely, um, it can only boost the football club, kind of, like you said, the, the, the whole the whole town lives it at the minute. And, you know, like you said, it's putting on the global global stage. And it can definitely benefit even businesses, really, because, like you said, the shirts, you know, around the world and like stuff. As it sounds like, if we go back to Wembley, I think we made like two hundred grand from just selling, you know, scarf shirts, uh, mugs, whatever it was. And probably now the football clubs benefit just as much by doing, you know, stuff around the world. So, um, yeah, they can they can definitely just be a positive thing. But like you said, they they sort of you know seem like they're not just going to be chucking money about and you know thinking that oh we've got millions in account and we're just going to throw away. So as long as there's a structure behind it, I think they can just bring the club forward. And like you said, was it 13, 40 years in the conference? I think it's time to to get out of this league, isn't it? Okay, let's do a couple of quick fire ones, just to a quick kind of get to know. You know, that's very popular. Um, yeah, no problem. The most talented, the most talented player you played with at Wrexham. Ooh, um, oh, that's a good one. Um, Neil Taylor. Neil Taylor's a good one. That's good. Um, yeah, Neil Taylor's a player who doesn't get enough respect, I don't think, for what he did. He was so good. I mean, obviously, when he had the Euros above Wales, it was it was crazy how he turned into a national area with that goal against Russia as well. But yeah, Neil Taylor, I think he gets overlooked a lot. Um, when people think about like the greatest Wrexham sides, and yeah, he did, he did very well. Like to be honest, I've got another funny story for you. When he gra- dragged off a Histon after twenty minutes because he lost a few headers, you <laughs> uh, wouldn't have thought he'd be become a footballer like he is now. But Dean Saunders <laughs> took him after twenty minutes because I think he lost three headers in the row and he put Mike Williams on. So uh, yeah, that was a always story that <laughs> reminds me about Neil Taylor. To be honest, did, so you, what, Neil did, Ta- did the players always remind Neil of that as well? Yeah, well, yeah, if you look back at funny times, yeah, when you took him off for 20 minutes, that was uh, one that I'll definitely remember. So, <laughs> Who was the worst dresser during the time? That's, you see some footballers with terrible clobber that they just turn up with. Uh, well, there was a few. There was a few. Jocelyn Maebi was one. Yeah, that he always thought, That doesn't he surprise always, me. He always thought he looked well. Um, so, yeah, I think he will, he will top the charts. What's your favourite goal as a Wrexham player? Um. Yeah, you probably will have to be Brighton. Yeah. What was the biggest regret, biggest disappointment at Wrexham? Uh, definitely lots. You know, the playoff losses we've done. Um, but I think I sort of left at the wrong time. I think. Um, obviously it was a bit of unfinished business, and how the whole you know think finish really at Wrexham maybe wasn't you know in the, in a good spotlight really. So I wish it maybe finished in a, in a different way. You got any rich? Any any kind of little quick questions that we can throw his way? Yeah, I mean, they're quite similar. Yeah, I mean, were there any real me- memorable away days you had in the league? It's a good one. Oh, for good reasons or for bad? I guess both. Really, I mean, you've all touched yeah. on Luton being a pretty grim one. Yeah. But, I mean, as Wrexham fans, we love home wins, but going away and, and doing the you know beating someone so on good. their own turf is yeah. like so the ultimate. Good. Uh, I don't know. I remember doing set plays on the services car park with Dean Saunders. Um, that was definitely different when he just put a few cones on a few on the car park and we were doing set plays. But uh, that Where was, was that? Diff- 
I, I can't actually remember which game that no, was, no. but that, that's definitely one thing that I won't forget. Um, and people taking corners and stuff, but yeah, that was funny when Laurie's driving next year. But um, yeah, that, that was a funny one. But um, no, I definitely the whole the whole like I said the whole build up for Wembley. Uh, well, obviously we went two days before we we trained at the um, Queen's Park Rangers training ground, and I remember it was freezing as well that day, uh, day before. So um, that was definitely a, a journey you will you will always remember. Um, obviously on the, on the, on the flip side, like you said, probably Newport, you know, getting beaten in that playoff final. So mm. that's the probably negative. So and the last one from me, at least is with the nod to the new owners, what, what series or film have you, have you last watched? What's the recent kind of binge that you've been watching? Um, uh, the last one I've, well, I wonder, I'm watching the Sopranos at the minute. So I'm halfway through Sopranos. that. Sopranos. Good yeah, choice. So yeah, good choice. So that's one of the series I've got. Well, there's six seasons. So I've got a couple to go in that. Yeah. Well, Dean you know, he's been. Yeah, Gene Saunders will turn up with his with his cast. Yeah, 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 that wouldn't surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. No, Adrian, you've been a great listen. Lots of great stories. Loads that I didn't know. I'm sure Rich is the same. Um, yeah. You know, we're hoping we can get lots of people on this podcast. Who do you think would be from your time would be a really good guest for us to have on and that would have some really interesting tales to tell. Yeah, well, f- from those, like I said, there's so many players. Marvin, Marvin Andrews is definitely one of character that you would you would love to listen to because I, I was fortunate to live with a guy and one of the people that's honestly the stories he's got. But uh, as a person, one of the one of the best people I've ever met in my life. So Marvin Andrews would definitely be one of the people to speak to. Right, Rich, we'll add it to the list. Marvin yeah. Andrews, I'm sure he'd be good. Yeah, as always, this is. Uh... Our first special guest, please do subscribe, do follow Spotify. We've got it all on there. Got us on Twitter at Rob Ryan Red, and you can email us at Rob Ryan Red at gmail.com. Rich, thanks very much. And Adrian, thanks so much. Been really good to listen to you. You're welcome. Cheers, lads. It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.